Hey, Peter Howard here from the Dynasty Crossroads Show. Did you know people that listen to the Dynasty Crossroads Show are 20% more likely to be happy? Probably, maybe. This and other maybe facts on the Dynasty Crossroads. Check this out. Yeah. Chicken, chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the... Welcome to the DLF Dynasty Podcast with your hosts, Dan Myler, Ryan McDowell, and Matt Price. Yeah, we are the DLF Dynasty Podcast, Dan, Matt, and Ryan, and we are coming at you with episode 596 of the show. Lots to get to here today, including uh, a conversation about Dynasty rankings, tight end consensus rankings i guess is the is what we're going to try to get to lots of young names to talk about and we're going to try to lay them all out for you and uh check in on that landscape for the coming years really we also have a fun conversation about jordan love and that packers offense that we need to get to and we're going to talk about tanking and how it might affect your dynasty league but guys we're already like ready to kick off week 14 the final week of most regular seasons i know some probably probably ended in week 13 this season went by so fast three and a half months of fun just just gone it's it's done already matt i'm i kind of want to weep uh because it's uh it, it goes too fast yeah, it it really does. Uh, we're we're almost back to the, the the dynasty part of the season, right? We we always talk about how much we love looking at the rookies and and getting ready for the next year. But then you get to the season and you're excited for the the point scorers, and then you blink and it's uh you know it's basically over. You know you hope you have a handful of teams that are competing in the playoffs, and then you get into dynasty mode. Or you know for uh, for the rebuilders, you're probably already in dynasty mode, I guess. Yeah, we we had a little brief um podcast meeting before the show and we were already t- planning out our rookie report card series for the off season starting to talk about all these 2024 rookies that's exciting but we got some business to take care of first Ryan we got we got to win some championships some dynasty championships before we uh get to all that yeah i hope so i hope so it's it's a big week coming up for sure as you said already uh for for many leagues the last week of the regular season and I, I know I have I have one team where I'm uh, I've got to get a win to get into the playoffs. So uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's coming down to the wire for for that team and for a lot of teams and uh, just hoping to cross the finish line. Yeah, we uh, you know, we don't talk about our teams all that often, guys, and probably for good reason. Right. Nobody wants to hear about somebody else's fantasy team in fact if you're if you're at like a holiday party this year and like your aunt edna's bugging you just start talking about your fantasy team and that'll get rid of her uh (laughs) but we we should mention the the three of us we 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 typically do pretty good right i know i'm in 13 dynasty leagues and i'm 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 in in 12 out of 13 for the for the postseason that 13th one, I'm going to need something to go my way here on Monday Night Football. Might need even a win in week 14 as well. Ryan, I, I, you know, you and I talked about it a week ago, and you said you were in pretty good shape to make it in most of them. Is that one you just mentioned the only one you're, you're really sweating right now? I think I'm in 11 dynasty leagues currently, cut way back over the past couple of years. Um, 
we we've got our one that uh, Dan, you and I are, are vampires. Matt's a vampire as well in that league, so we're not making the playoffs in that league. Uh, out- yeah, yeah, not. I didn't count that one. <laughs> don't don't count the other. That's number fourteen. <laughs> yeah, uh, year year one of a. No, no, I'm not counting it. I, I think outside of that league, I, I'm going to make it make the playoffs in in uh, every other league though. It, it, you know, with this with this one kind of hanging in the balance. How about you, Matt? Yeah, I've got a for the most part. I've got two teams that that are just complete rebuilds that I was expecting to not make the playoffs. At least one of those would get the 101. And then I've got playoffs and all the other ones, except for there's two that are like hanging on the edge. Where like I, I'm pretty sure. sure that I can sneak in at that last spot. Um, but it's gonna be it's it's one of those situations where Lamar was off this week. I got Kyler off next week. So, you know, the buys just kind of didn't help me at the at the end there. And I don't really care about bye week, especially towards the end of the season like that. But for whatever reason, this year, it's kind of worked out where it's it's hurt me pretty good. It's, uh, you know, I, I'm sure we have listeners that are that kind of check out or, or maybe check in late, maybe in the week to to listen in that the season maybe didn't go their way or, or things like that. They want to check in on the future rookie class, see what we're talking about. Um, you know, I, I mentioned we, we don't talk about our teams all that often. And, and again, for good reason, but the, the truth is um, the reason we're on the show and the reason we do this is because we love dynasty and we, we, we probably all three consider ourselves pretty good at it. Right. So the the moral of the story most likely uh, has to be that that you know we have so much fun playing this game, but there is a goal in mind, right? We're all trying to win at some point, whether that be through that uh, rebuild that you talked about, Matt, that that you're doing in a couple leagues, or if you're a contender right now. So um, you know, I was thinking about this throughout the last week or so. I think the the thing I've learned the most over the last couple of years playing Dynasty is to like have a checks and balances in place. Always think about where you're at and what you've done to get where you're at and and try to make notes and try to get a little bit better. It's weird because I and I'm kind of going off on a tangent. I understand that, <laughs> but it's weird because. In a couple of leagues, I made some notes over the last year or so that that I don't do a good enough job at the running back position, that I that I push that off till the end all the time, and it hurts me even when I'm a contender. And now in a couple of leagues, I think I might have overcorrected that mistake. So maybe there's another note that needs to be taken. I'm trying to get better at a game that I, I consider myself pretty good at already. I'm wondering if there's anything late in the season that you guys are doing before we get into the topics we need to get to uh, on this episode that, that help you out. What, what are you doing late in the year, Matt, that, that maybe you can take for years future or whatever to help you become a better dynasty player? Once I know that I am, I guess maybe not, it, it depends on when you find out, I guess, but, but basically as soon as I find out that I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm pretty confident I'm going to be a playoff team. I start maximizing starting lineups. Uh, I stop caring about depth as much, you know, and again, it depends on when that happens. If it happens, if you know you're a playoff team in week seven, you probably should probably hold off a little bit because there's room for injuries. But once we get to the double digit weeks, uh, I'm really trying to maximize that starting lineup, cut down on my decisions for the playoffs. 
because I, for me, like the, the most painful part of, 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 of dynasty and fantasy for me is when you, when you have to leave an obvious play on the bench because the rest of the lineup is good. So I really want to maximize each of those 10, 11, 12 starting spots, whatever it is, so that I don't f- face the pain of making the wrong decision at a key, at a key place in the playoffs. Um, so like you're maximizing your points, you're, you're minimizing the decisions you have to make. Hmm. That's Ryan, really interesting. Well, it's really interesting that Matt says that because I think I'm the complete opposite, honestly. Um, I am. Me too. And that's what I was talking about the running wow. back position. I want more depth because yep. the injuries come and I hate it to, to, to be putting somebody in my lineup that I'm expecting seven or eight points at the, at the high end from, I, I want to be able to cover myself if something bad happens to me in a, in a championship run. Well, exactly. So I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm doing the opposite of what Matt's doing. I'm flipping a second for um, maybe, maybe a couple of veterans that I know best case I will never start. Uh, but I've got, I've got that depth. I've got that, um, that emergency backup plan, I guess you could say. Um, and the other thing, I mean, this is the time of year, not only legit injuries as we've continued to see, really every single week this season. But this is also the time of year where those teams that are out of the playoffs will have these uh, surprise injuries that seem to sneak up. And, you know, all of a sudden the guy is, uh, you know, has what looks like a minor injury and he lands on the IR and his season is over and, and you were counting on him. You know, um, I think this is the time where we start to see those things happen. So the depth uh, is, is kind of the way I go. Uh, in, in building those rosters. I guess it just depends on the kind of depth, right? Cause like, I don't know, like, is it, it, like what am I, am I talking about? Like having Adam Thielen and eight points, like as my depth, like, I just don't feel like those guys make that much of a, a difference in the final score, you know? Well, I think that's a good point because what I talked about, about the running backs is some, some would say that Ezekiel Elliott is depth because he's a backup running back with on a, in a good situation. Now he's going to get an opportunity to maybe not a good situation, but more of a situation where he's going to get some volume. And then others would say that that depth is having Tajay Spears who might get an opportunity now, but he's young. So there there's two different sides to that coin. And that's what I've battled at, at the running back position. You try to, you try to put yourself in the best position to be able to cover those injuries or cover those, uh, problem areas in your lineup if they happen to come up. And it's something I battled, as I said. I think the biggest thing is to try to get better. We, we try to get better at this. If you're going to play at this level, if you're listening to this podcast, you're trying to get better. And my note is to take notes, to, 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 try, to try to improve your game as much as possible. And the best way to do that is when you're in the, in the battle, in the grind of the season, to write it down and then look at it in August when you're when you're getting into the grind of the season to start week one once again. But we got a lot to get to on the show. I mentioned what we're covering. Uh, we're going to get to that in just a second. But I got to tell you that this episode is brought to you by the guys over at League Tycoon. If you play in a contract dynasty league, which I do a lot of, or if you've ever thought about joining one, which I do a lot of as well, uh, but maybe you were worried that it might be too much work. It's not too much work, especially over at League Tycoon. 
you're going to want to check out these guys because they have perfected a platform for fantasy football salary cap and contract leagues. And I got to say, you know, I thought it was, I thought it was kind of a pipe dream because it's, it's so much, it's so difficult to run a league on all these other plot platforms, whether it be ESPN or Yahoo or anybody else out there, these leagues are so easy to set up and they offer so many configuration and management options. It makes it a breeze for the commissioner and so easy on the managers every single week. The startup is fun. Running your team is a blast and uh, going from season to season. I can't wait to do it in the league that I have. League Tycoon's mobile app makes it even easier. Um, You know, they probably have the best fantasy league mobile app in the industry. It has so many, uh, so many feature rich uh, little things inside of it that, that make it, make it easy on the managers it's easy to navigate and it doesn't have all those like distracting features that you see on some of those other platforms that take away from from being a fantasy manager and and running your dynasty uh to its fullest so you need to go to leaguetycoon.com get all the information you need download that app and as well and then if you use that promo code dlf when you're creating a league your first year is absolutely free i'm only in year one at league tycoon i wish i would have started sooner it is a blast. The startup. Yeah, we need to start up with a player that we've talked about here on the podcast a couple times over the last year or so. And I think we have three varying opinions on it, which is always a fun conversation. We have me, a, a big supporter. Ryan, you probably fall right in the middle. You're you're a supporter, but probably not as strong as I am. And then Matt, you've spoken outwardly that you're you're not really in favor of this guy. It's Jordan Love, who's been showing signs recently of the high upside that I've talked about a few times on the show. Of course, the Packers beat the Chiefs on Sunday night football. He goes 25 of 36, 267 yards and three touchdowns, didn't throw a pick in the win versus Kansas City. This came after a big performance on Thanksgiving against the Lions, where he threw for 268 and three scores. In fact, over the last three weeks, Matt, eight touchdowns, no interceptions, averaging 286 yards per game, mixing in a little bit as a runner as well, although probably not as much as as some of the big time runners in the league. And I'm wondering right now, where are you at with Jordan Love? Because you're you're in a unique situation. You're a Packers fan. You haven't really been a believer. Is he starting to turn you over to the other side, or are you still firm that that Love isn't a guy that we can depend on in Dynasty? Um, I mean, I I think he does have a high ceiling. Like you mentioned, he has three straight games of more than 20 points. He started the season with three straight games of more than 20 points, but I think baked in there uh, uh, within those performances were plenty of inconsistencies that make you worried about his, you know, maybe his long-term (laughs) <laughs> long-term job security maybe as long as i guess as long as uh the floor is there and it can deal with all of the the inconsistencies that he does provide some of the air and throws you know we, we talked about it before the show but that throw to romeo dubs uh into triple coverage it worked out but it just i mean even the announcers ryan said we we're like that, that 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 was a real bad throw i forget what the quote was but um so just things like that you know make you think but but again you have to think back he is a first year starter despite being in the league for so long so i I mean, I see, you can see it. You can see the upside there. It's just, can he get the 
the bad stuff under wraps. So I've definitely come around on him. Uh, I don't want to see like the week five performances anymore, uh, the week nine performances anymore. Um, but, uh, you know, I think we're getting there. So I, I'm, 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 I'm able to be convinced. So keep playing well, I guess. And I'll, I might, I might be there with you. Well, I think you made some, some good points there that, that he had that, that, that trouble, right? He, he had a lot of trouble in the middle of the season after that hot start. And I I heard Matt LaFleur, his head coach talk about how he made the mistakes the defenses made adjustments to what they were doing. He made mistakes in that, and he's not making the same mistakes over and over and over again. So I guess it takes, I think they talked about it on the broadcast as well. He's had a thousand snaps and, and you make mistakes in that. And if you don't make the same mistake twice, you're bound to get better. That makes a lot of sense to me. And we're seeing some of the, I would say, um, confidence come out in Jordan Love that that he stands in the pockets, deliver, delivers the ball with timing and anticipation. And those are the things that I was excited about that are kind of finally coming to fruition with him. And the consistency against good teams, mind you, as well. They, Of course, they, they beat Los Angeles a few weeks ago. They, uh, they took care of the Lions on Thanksgiving, and that first half was impressive for Jordan Love especially. And then to beat the Chiefs at home on Sunday night football, that that's a strong showing. And you can say what you want about the calls at the end of the game or whatever. But from a fantasy perspective, Ryan, it does feel like he's taken at least a half a step forward with the consistency. And then the fact that he's played these stronger opponents and come up with these games, that has to be a feather in the cap of his long-term viability and, and maybe his dynasty relevance for the long term, what are your thoughts? Yeah, not only consistently, but uh, consistency, but consistently improving as well. You look at his past six games just from a fantasy ranking standpoint quarterback 18, 15, 13, 9, and then back to back games as the quarterback five that is. Uh, that is pending Monday night football here, but obvious, obvious signs of improvement uh, from Jordan love uh, both, you know, from a real life standpoint on the field and certainly from a fantasy standpoint. And um, you know, you start to, you start to look at rankings, you start to look at ADP and, and we're in the early stages of, of collecting our December ADP. So I, I don't have any data there, but if you go back to November, which now is, you know, five, ish weeks old that was before this hot streak really started so it's kind of interesting to see that Jordan Love was being valued as the quarterback 21 at that point he was behind Jared Goff and Geno Smith and um you know that that sounds way off now and and it is way off now honestly um I think we're I don't I don't have him close to that quarterback one range uh quite yet but he he's climbing. I've got him as the quarterback 16 and in our dynasty rankings, he's the quarterback 20. So certainly still some non-believers out there, some people who aren't quite ready to buy in yet, but obviously we have to be encouraged by what we've seen over the past month or so. I'm not that far off then. I have him at 17. So I I guess I'm, I guess I'm not that low on him. Yeah, not that low, but th- that group at the maybe bottom end quarterback ones, including like Dak Prescott and probably Justin Fields, and then the high end quarterback twos, which which are going to be some of those young guys, of course. Um, 
like Bryce Young and, and, you know, depending on how you feel about him and Will Levis is in that conversation, at least according to ADP pulled a month ago, it's hard not to consider him in that, in that range. If, if you say Dak Prescott, who's an MVP candidate and having a great season, he's 30 years old. Meanwhile, Jordan Love, just 25 years old and seems to be improving according to what Ryan said and, and what we're all seeing on the field. There, there's a case to be made that he should be a, a high-end quarterback too at this point in Dynasty. If you were doing a startup right now, it'd be pretty difficult to take some of these other names, including uh, Bryce Young and Will Levis, Sam Howell, um, and then those veterans like Jared Goff and Geno Smith. Any of those guys over Jordan Love, that'd be a difficult, difficult take. I think he's really in between tiers right now because I think for most people he has overtaken essentially that whole group you you mentioned there uh, where maybe yeah. he was behind Young, behind Levis, behind some of those veterans that I talked about like Goff and, and Gino. I think he's overtaken all of those guys, but I'm not ready to push him ahead of Dak or e- even Deshaun Purdy. Watson at this point. Brock Purdy is in there and then you get up to Fields right. and Kyler. So he he almost has this the quarterback tier to himself, uh, at least in my opinion, there at the 16 spot. And and it'll really depend how he plays in the last month of this regular season, month and a half of the regular season here. The Packers have a pretty good schedule as far as um the the defenses that they'll face. They're at the Giants, then have that Buccaneers defense. Follow after that at the Panthers, at the Vikings, and then versus the Bears. Not exactly a murderer's row of pass defenses for Love to take on. It'd be pretty easy to to project a pretty strong finish to the season. Matt, when you look at Love and the Packers, are you expecting Love to be the starting quarterback for the Packers in the long term, like beyond this season into next season, and maybe beyond that? I I would not be confident past 2024, but I tell you what, that team was really smart uh, offering him that extension like they did because I just can't imagine if we got to the end of this year, Dan, and we were had forced to make a decision if we were going to pay Jordan Love $100 million like they like the Giants had to do with, with Daniel Jones last year and how that oh, worked I think out. they so, could still do that. Um, really? He's he's if, getting that deal this May. You think he's, he's getting, getting the this Daniel Jones deal this in May? I, I think so. I, I think it. it's I think so. I abs. I abs. If he does, if he if he does, I absolutely hate it. I, I take it back. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I think I think if you're a, a a Jordan Love manager, especially in a super flex league right now, I think that's good news. To be honest with you, if the Packers for buy fancy, in that, sure. that yeah. strong, I, I think that's a good thing for his long term. Uh, I guess value or viability or, you know, how, how the, the team values him. I think he's taking a big step forward and I, I hope it's not me wearing green and gold colored glasses and seeing everything through pie in the sky type vision. Um, but I, I see enough on the field and there are those head scratching plays that you mentioned, Matt, the, the, the deep accuracy is certainly something. And I've been like Justin Fields, especially accuracy is a big thing that I look at. Jordan Love's deep, deep accuracy is, I would say, poor. It's not even average or or even below average. It might be poor. It has taken a step forward here in the last few weeks. 
if that continues, there there is a bright future for him. And I'm pretty excited about it, both from a fantasy and a real-life perspective. Uh, anything else to add, guys, uh, as far as love and, and the rest of this Packers team with all these young weapons? I, I just want to say Jaden Reed leading the Packers in uh, yardage. Yes, Pat- you have the yardage. feather in your, in your cap, Matt. I, we all remember <laughs> that you said. <laughs> Listen, I need something after Tank Dell got hurt on a freaking oh, QB run play. God, I'm just yeah anyway uh only other note i had on jordan love uh just from the game this uh this week the chiefs i mean that that is that has been a defense to fear from a quarterback standpoint oh absolutely the chiefs have only yeah yeah, coming into this week had only allowed two quarterback one games on the season both of those had been low end uh low end performances from kirk cousins and from jalen hurts uh, Love is the mm. first quarterback to score 20 plus fantasy points against the Chiefs this season. Hmm. Good oh, information good to have down the stretch. Dynasty rankings. Well, the the tight end position is one that we haven't spent a lot of time on. We thought we'd do that this week. Um, try to come up with some consensus tiers, consensus rankings for the position. Lots of shakeup this year, right, Matt? We've 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 we got rookies jumping into the top one, top two, top three. We have uh, veterans that are getting a year older and moving down the rankings, and then we have young players with elite upsides that just don't do anything. Kyle Pitts, um, <laughs> you came up with this idea. I think you did a year ago as well. We, we talked about it because you wanted to talk about it a year ago and, and plug Kyle Pitts as the tight end one. I'm guessing he's not <laughs> anymore, right? He's not. Apparently I'm not even looking at these uh, tiers that we have set up. I'm not even, I'm not even the highest on him anymore. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll get to that. <laughs> so let's start with the tiers. We, we typically at, the tight end position guys, it's a tier of one or two or three players for the last handful of years. Right. But it feels, and it looks like from what we, we each have inputted here that, that maybe that tier is a little broader now. Maybe we're looking at a bigger group of guys and and maybe there's a chance that these guys separate themselves over the next year or so. Matt, who among the, the top tight ends belongs to be in t- tier one for you? It's Laporte at the top and then Hawkinson begrudgingly. And then I've got Andrews, Kelsey and McBride there. Honestly, I thought going to this, I was going to be the highest on McBride and I already want to change this. I want to move McBride up to at least above Kelsey, if not above Andrews too. Um, that said, like we talk about this sometimes when we make tiers, like I'm not paying anything of significance to move around in this tier at all. Like all five of these guys seem to me feel like the locked in ones. I know you guys differ on Kelsey a little bit, um, but these are the ones you want. If you are a contender, these, these are the five guys for me. Yeah, I, I, I mostly agree. Uh, except I, I don't have Travis Kelsey in my top tier. Um, if I could even, even on a contender, if I could flip him for any of these others, I would do that immediately just uh, only for the age reasons and I, I mean I do think we've seen uh, a subtle um, step back for Kelsey and both for both from a consistency standpoint and from a ceiling standpoint and uh, like we kind of mentioned with the Chiefs we could discuss you know is that is that related to their entire offense 
obviously an offensive coordinator change there, but whatever the reason uh, I have, uh, I've moved Travis Kelsey down and, and would flip him for any of these guys uh, if possible. He's, he's it's still the good. tight end two on the season. You guys, yeah, like he's averaging that. four points more than Sam Laporta. He's averaging four points more than the tight end three on this. I, I totally understand that the age difference is obvious. All our listeners know about that. The problem with that is that subtle change in his like dominance at on the field, what you see on the field every, every single week, it's not as dominant as we've seen in the past. And I can't, I can't point to a stat. I can't point to a specific play to show that. But it's not exactly the same. And that shows a step back for him. I completely agree with Ryan. I would be selling him for any of those names above. The problem is, if you're a contender right now, by the time the season ends, even if he's healthy, even if he continues to play at this level, it's going to be too late to move on from him for these prices. His price is going to go down. And and I know trade deadlines have already passed in most leagues. But if if you're pot committed on Kelsey, you're in it at this point for the rest of the season. The question is, if you win a championship, if you take second, if you take fifth right now, I think the proper advice is to sell Kelsey for the best offer you can get at the end of this season, no matter what. Because we've seen that slow step back, and I think that is a gift from the fantasy gods that it was a, a small step back and not a plummet down to earth for Kelsey's fantasy dynasty value. Do you think I just, I, I just, if, go ahead, Brian. I, I'm just thinking it's, you know, it's January 1st fantasy season's over. Could you trade Kelsey for pits even up? If you can, you should do that in a heartbeat. I think. I just, man, I, I think what you said at the I, end, I Dan, think that it's doing it to like Luke Musgrave in a second or something like that, his oh value on January no 1st, way. it's going to, He's too old. It's it's over. I, I, I like what you said at the end to if you want to try to sell for whatever you can get after the season. But if you make a move where you move Kelsey for Pitts right now and you're a contender at Kelsey, even for Kelsey or Kincaid, and Kelsey scores three touchdowns at week 17, like I, I could not personally deal with that. Like I, I think Kelsey is one of the players that are probably just gonna if I have him and I'm constantly contending, he's gonna he's just gonna die on my roster. Yikes. He's going to keep scoring 15 points a game until until he's done. Dying on the roster is a thing that I don't want to I don't want to live through with any player, uh, especially a 30 plus tight end. So we we're talking about consensus rankings. We have LaPorta, Hawkinson, Andrews, McBride, and Kincaid. We can't just glance over these two young tight ends. Uh beyond LaPorta who we've talked about a lot on the podcast. Trey McBride the the news of Ertz being released, that is a feather in the cap of Trey McBride and his long-term viability um, dominating the position. Looks so good, so good on Sunday in that game. They took a touchdown away from him, and he's like, uh, I'll just catch it again and take that <laughs> touchdown for my fantasy managers. Dalton Kincaid has been doing much of the same, even though he's on by. These two young guys feel like pillars right now, Ryan. If you have them in your dynasty lineup every week you're just clicking on the name and you think to yourself this is a long-term thing but the the problem specifically with McBride is that 
they have holes in that offense. He kind of has to be the number one target. He's he's building this rapport with Kyler right now, and that's all good. But what happens when they take a, a wide receiver? What if they take Marvin Harrison at three or four overall next year? And he's not that guy anymore. Does he have the same, does he have the holding power to remain one of those guys that at the tight end position, like Travis Kelsey and like Mark Andrews, they can be the number one pass catcher on a team. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, I think he does. And I think he can be, I mean, Matt talks about it all the time as we want these tight ends to be top two options. So yeah, if they take Marvin Harrison, if they, uh, if they can lure a, a top free agent to Arizona, maybe he falls to the second option uh, in that passing game. But I think that's, I think that's kind of the worst case. Um, I mean, you look at the numbers for uh, Hollywood Brown over the past month. It's uh, it's scary. He's like wide receiver 80 over the past month. So uh, that, that has a lot to do with, with, uh, with Trey McBride, I think. We, we talked forever about the rapport that was going to be developed between Marquise Brown and Kyler Murray, and it happened to some extent, but it's nothing compared to the rapport that he has with Trey McBride right now. Trey McBride is a senior, caught 90 balls for 1,100 yards. I, I just think he is used to being the engine of the offense. And yeah, if they bring in Marvin Harrison or another super talented wide receiver, then he could certainly compete with targets. But I don't think he's going to have any problem maintaining a, a dominant role in that offense. I, I think he's a lock for like a 17 to 20 percent target share uh at least through next year and this is not this is not an out of nowhere guy right i mean this is a player no not who was the tight end one in his class he was a second round draft pick we all knew about this guy we all liked this guy coming in the only the only thing that threw off his value for a year a year and a half was that zach Ertz was still just so good and that Arizona was content to to stick with him until the until the wheels fell off. So there's been you know there's been a lot of patting uh, patting ourselves on the back over the past month or so about calling this Trey McBride breakout like he was uh, like he was a no name uh, that we we were unaware of. I mean this is a a high end prospect who's paying off in year two. This is this is easy. Yeah, good point. It's easy and and it's not weird. It's it's not something that we didn't expect really right. except for uh the Ertz thing really just just put it on layaway, right? We were all waiting for for Ertz to get out of the way and once he did, uh Trey McBride did what we we were all hoping at least that he would do. The only difference in our top tier, Matt, is that you didn't have Dalton Kincaid in it. You see a difference between guys like Trey McBride and Kincaid, who is another young player who had a veteran in front of him early this season. As soon as that veteran got out of the way, Trey McBride took, or excuse me, Dalton Kincaid took over. In fact, there's a case to be made that even Stefan Diggs has taken a step back mm. since Dalton Kincaid got that top role. He's getting all those targets in the middle of the field and looks like a target hog. I don't see any reason why to keep Kincaid out of tier one. What's yours? I, I guess I'm just not there from the, the consistency standpoint. I don't feel like he's emerged to be that, 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 maybe not primary target as, as some of these guys are, but even necessarily the secondary target 
uh, in that in that offense. So, I mean, that's that's really it. Like, I, I, he was the one that was the hardest for rank for me. I totally understand having him in the top tier. I have no problem with that. I just vastly prefer all of those guys in the top tier to Kincaid. Uh, that's really, I think that's really it. We've all heard the the stuff about Diggs, right? The off the field and the, you know, his brother's tweeting and, and it's really goes back even beyond way earlier than that. Going back to Minnesota, there's always something with Stefan Diggs. Would it be that shocking if Stefan Diggs was not in Buffalo in a year, maybe a year and two months? Uh, and that it's, Dalton Kincaid, that's the number one target for an offense that is led by a quarterback you're, that we all want to want to be invested you're convincing in. Me. I, think, you're, I think the path is there that a year from now we're saying Dalton Kincaid is the tight end one in Dynasty. It it's and it's not a stretch to me. I, I think he's closer to the tight end two than he is the the tight end six to me. Well, I'm I'm glad you said it that way. <laughs> Dan, because that's that's really yeah. kind of how I formed these tiers, at least the top tier. I do have Sam Laporta as my tight end one in Dynasty right now. And then I looked at every other player. Could I make a case that he should be the tight end one? I think you can with Hawkinson, still just 26 years old. He's the tight end one on the season. He has 10 tight end one games this year. Uh, Trey McBride, that's that's maybe the toughest case uh, to call stretch, him the tight end. Maybe. Yeah, to call him the tight end one overall, but I can see it. And same thing with Dalton Kincaid and, and uh, obviously the Andrews injury changes his value, but uh, it, it would not be crazy. Again, fast forward a couple months to consider Andrews the dynasty tight end one either. So I think there's a case for all five of those guys. And that's why I settled on them as, uh, as my tier one. I like I like the the angle of Diggs not being there. I did. That's not something that I've really put a lot of thought into. But I, I, you're right. I, I would not be surprised if that didn't happen. And, and Kincaid is the, the the number one target there next year. It's certainly possible. Hmm. Well, yeah. Gabe Gabe like Davis one one. You got me. I mean, Gabe Davis is a free agent as well. So again, even if even if Diggs is back and and you know that situation remains the same, I, I think Kincaid is certainly the second option. Uh, I think he is already. Yeah, we've seen really. it, right? Yeah. Uh, I think he is the re- – Kincaid is the reason that Gabe Davis, after that hot start, albeit up and down, has taken a back seat. Uh, and they're starting to talk about him like like a great blocker in the running game now. You see all that stuff, and you're, they're like, yeah, what happened? Well, it was Dalton Kincaid taking all those targets. Let's move on to Tier 2. Kelsey gets pushed down just a little bit. We all had uh, the trio of Dallas Goddard, George Kittle, and Kyle Pitts in this tier as well. So this is a pretty easy one in tier two. There is a tier break after all those names. I think the most interesting question now is who is closest to being pushed up into that tier? For me, it's Evan Ingram. The consistency in that offense, what you talk about a lot, Matt, that that potential to be the number two option in the passing game every week, whether it be Ridley at one, Kirk at one, it always seems like Evan Ingram is slotted in there at number two, consistently gets six, eight, ten targets a game. And that makes me feel warm and fuzzy every week when I start him. He's still young enough to be considered a guy that, that might uh, still have a little bit of upside in the long term. But the consistency in the short term makes him puts him at the top of tier three for me. Who are the next guys for you, Matt? 
Yeah, it's the the same. Well, I guess not all the same, but I have Ferguson, Ingram, and Firemuth there. And I mean, the note I would have is that I don't I don't really care about anybody after tier two. Like, I'm I'm not going to pay anything of significant value for any of any of the guys after those top, uh, I think nine guys that we have there. Um, but I I agree. Everett Ingram's in a great situation. The touchdown equity is, is has really not been there for most of his career. Again, given again having issues with that this season. Fryermove had that huge uh, game right off of the um, the Matt Canada firing, I believe, uh, and then yeah. has kind of sunk back to you know what he is. He's going to be the third option on a team with at least for now going to be the third option on a team with a bad quarterback, and that's just not. I mean, you're going to have spike weeks, but not something I'm willing to invest in. So Ferguson is the one that I've had really I've had a blind spot for this entire season. Like I've had no Ferguson. I've not ever thought about acquiring Jake Ferguson, even as a <laughs> as a rookie. Um, I just I don't know. I've just had a complete blind spot for it. It's always been like two or three tight ends there, and you never know which one. But clearly he's emerged. So I, I might I might take a, a vote for Ferguson to move up up into that next year uh, as the most likely from these ones uh mostly because again it's cd lamb and i mean maybe it's brandon cooks again next year but uh you know the the michael michael gallup's not going to happen maybe they bring somebody else in um but he seems like a good candidate to be to enter that top two target sphere if he's not already i haven't checked the numbers on that well the problem with Ferguson is that he feels touchdown dependent. He has to get those red zone targets and he's so good in that area of the field that, that it's not a really a stretch to feel like he can produce in that area. Um, He's just not with man. Lamb just takes everything in that offense. And I think there's room to grow there, but there are other names, right? Ryan, it's not like Ferguson is the only tight end getting opportunities in that offense. And, Luke Schoonmaker is on the field regularly. He's getting some targets in the red zone as well. And that's just enough to keep him from being that next guy in line for me to jump into that top nine. Well, I mean, I think you look at the, the nine guys we've got here in our top two tiers and the conversation goes to upside, uh, whether we've already seen that upside as, as elite scores over the past few years, or you, you see it as, as potential. And then you think about guys in this third tier and that's, that's the difference. They don't have that upside, right? Like Pat Fryermuth came out as a rookie, had a solid season. And you just look at the type of player he is as kind of that traditional tight end that we could have seen in the game 20 years ago. And, uh, you just think he's he's a low end tight end one, and he'll never be anything more than that. And I think Ferguson's in that same mold. Yeah, and maybe Cole Komet is another guy that fits into that mold, an athletic guy coming out of Notre Dame, and we thought maybe he could be that downfield threat. Perhaps that offense has limited him slightly. He's a guy I threw in along with the names that Matt mentioned: Ferguson, Ingram, and Fryermuth. Komet has showed enough and had the spike weeks to to add his name to this group. Ryan, you went even deeper than those four names. You added a couple more. Yeah, like uh, I like Michael Mayer here, the uh, an, another rookie. Of course, we we've seen flashes, obviously not as as much and not uh, not the consistency uh, that we've seen from the other rookies, but. He, again, is is kind of the same as Fryermuth and Ferguson to me as far as uh, upside and, and potential role. So I would include him here um, and Luke Musgrave as well, yet yet another rookie. I, yeah. I do think I think Musgrave has a little more upside. He might be the name that I would pick 
that could jump up into tier two. Yeah, he, he, I really battled with him. And the problem I had is right now, I wouldn't trade Luke, uh, like Evan Ingram straight up for Luke Musgrave. I would want something on top of that to make the move, even though I do agree that, that maybe he has that upside to jump a tier, skip a tier even, yeah. and, and jump into tier two with those guys like Goddard and Kittle and Pitts. So that was the problem I had. We don't have a lot of time to get to the rest of these names. Uh, David Njoku is another one. Chigo Conquo in the next group of tiers as well. Other names that that we haven't gotten to include Darren Waller, who's been struggling with injury. Uh, another veteran, Dalton Schultz. Greg Dulcich has missed a lot of time. Taysom Hill has been coming up with big games, but we don't know about his long-term viability as well. Those are all names that, that come up in Tier 4, 5, and 6 for us. Um, we're going to have to get to the next uh, the next topic, though. Scratch it. All right, guys, the the regular season's wrapping up and we need to we need to talk about the topic of tanking in Dynasty. I got to tell a quick story. We don't have a whole lot of time for it. But this week in one of my leagues, a local league, um, I would say very competitive, though, a lot of good Dynasty managers in it. It's actually a contract league. So so not true Dynasty, but we had a manager just outright tank. And and he did it right, I would say. He went to the rule book, looked through the rules vigilantly, and saw that there were no rules against sitting elite players. He actually sat DK Metcalf in in this league. Uh, Puka Nakua was also sat for for guys like Van Jefferson. And uh, when it was brought up on Monday that that man you what are you doing? You're, you're breaking the rule. This isn't, this isn't how we play it. He immediately said, yeah, I'm tanking. It's in the best interest for my team to try to get the number one pick in our rookie draft next year. I'm out of the playoffs already and I'm playing against the team that currently holds the number one pick. I'm at number two, but a loss this week puts me at that number one spot. Why wouldn't I do it? He's going to earn that number one pick by doing that. And it upset a lot of owners in the league so i'm wondering just to start guys in your opinion should tanking be allowed matt i i have come around i mean i we look we we could say that we're all three of us i don't know if you want to use the term old school or what but all three of us have been playing fantasy football dynasty football for over 20 years right and we come from the school that always try your hardest you always submit your best lineup but honestly i i I don't i don't believe that anymore and there are there i I do have uh, some anti-tanking rule the rules in a couple of leagues um the one that i created this year i do not because i just I, i just think that managers should be able to do whatever they want with their team and i've never had a situation where it dramatically changed the outcome of of a league from a long-standing standpoint now place teams now like like in your story there dan i understand uh the second place guy or i guess the second the new second place guy being real upset that he's not going to go get caleb williams or whatever right like that Mm -hmm. that's probably really frustrating that said you know that guy had the same opportunity to do that so i just i just don't think i from a commission standpoint especially i don't think i care that much anymore uh if you want to donate for three years in a row by all means, do it. If that you think that's the best path to getting to your uh, your title at some point, you know, do it. Like we t- I talk about it in the NFL that NFL teams like they're never actually going to do it. 
Um, but you know, the collapse for Caleb, the the tank for Trevor. Well, there there uh, are factors. There are factors that don't exist in fantasy that exist in the NFL. There are there are players that don't want to lose their jobs and coaches that don't want to lose their jobs. That doesn't exist here. You know you have job security as the manager of your fantasy team in your dynasty league. So I, I don't think that those are equals. We're not we're not apples to apples on that. The the thing that you did say there, however, is that that while you've come around to it, you do have some some leagues, right, that have these rules. And maybe that is an old school um, approach. What you did mention there is that that it didn't affect the long term viability. The short term is what da- dynasty managers care about, though, right? The, the moment, what we're in right now. Something that I didn't mention there is that this team that was that that might have got hosed out of the number one pick by putting in his best lineup, clearly going to win. Now next week he plays the team that's in the sixth spot. The sixth spot needs a win. If they lose, they're out. If they win, they're in. He's going to, that manager is now going to play his worst possible lineup. Totally tank that game, affect the playoffs for this year. And that is just a like a cause and effect. One of those things, the butterfly effect that affects the health of the league and, and by that, I mean, managers are upset. They're not feeling good about the league. Maybe somebody, there are people saying they want to quit because of this. And that just, as a commissioner, that, does, that wouldn't make me feel good. I don't happen to commission this league. I always have rules, Ryan. You haven't said anything just yet. I always have rules in place uh, to try to slow the, the tanking process down at the very least. What's your take on it? It's a, it's a huge conversation. Um, first of all, I would say, um, I, I don't know that I've ever seen blatant tanking in my league, certainly not to the degree of what you're talking about. So I do mm-hmm. have rules, anti-tanking rules in my league, but they're, I find them really hard to follow through with. And maybe that's, maybe that's mm-hmm. just a personal thing. But the rules are pretty strict. Essentially, uh, two strikes and you're out. You know, if this happens twice, I'm kicking you out of the league. Well, that that's a tough thing to do. You know, when you've been playing in a dynasty yeah. league yeah. with somebody for two, three, five years, and, and you're going to kick them out. Now, again, if it's blatant and obvious tanking and you have a rule against it, that's a different situation. What I deal with more in my leagues is not tanking, but it's, a lack of attention. It's being lazy. It's not making yep. the league a priority. And then you start a player that's injured or a player that's on by. And, and that's frustrating for, for everybody in the league. It's frustrating um, for those people fighting for playoff spots or fighting for the number one pick. I, I get that. That is one point though. I've kind of come around on. And, and I used to have that same mindset. I think that you're kind of describing there, Dan, that it's unfair because Typically, most tanking would take place late in the season. And if I'm the lucky team mm-hmm. that gets to play that tanking team, then maybe I get an easy win and, and maybe I get into the playoffs. To me, it, it, it's one of those random things. Like maybe I get lucky and I play your team when all of your guys are on by or, or I play your 100%. team when True. you just lost Joe Burrow and whoever. And to me, that 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 specific piece of it is kind of a luck of the draw that, that I'm not going to factor that into any decision anymore. So 
again, I think there's, there's lots of ways this conversation could go. I, I have more experience with, like I said, just managers not giving their best effort and therefore not submitting a legal lineup. That's, that's frustrating for me. And honestly, because of that, I'm, I'm kind of starting to side with Matt a little bit that it, it it's tough to manage. It's tough to check. Um, you know, a lot of my leagues are, are deluxe leagues with 24 teams. So I'm checking 24 lineups every week to make sure that everybody didn't start a, an injured player or bye week player. Like, I mean, I'm a teacher. You guys know this. I teach, I teach elementary school kids. And sometimes I feel like I'm bringing that job home when I'm checking these lineups, like I'm, like I'm checking their, their homework for the night or something. Just, just like do what you want. And, and we're, we're just going to move forward because I can't, uh, I can't babysit you guys anymore. That's, that's the point I'm at late in the season. I completely understand that. And I agree with it. I actually uh, go through the exact same thing. It's not my job to manage your roster on top of mine and the rest of the league. So I think the, the place to take this conversation is from a league standpoint, whether you be a manager or a commissioner, if you're trying to eliminate tanking, what can you do about it? That that's going to be the most productive conversation to have, because I think most commissioners or managers probably have decided what side of the fence they're on. What, no matter what we say here, guys. So if you're trying to regulate it, if you're trying to remove it from the league, there are a few things you can do. I've seen draft orders being determined by potential points rather than actual points scored. That can be productive in some places. There's also the draft lottery idea that teams do, which creates an off-season event as well, which could be fun, but create create tension if you're most likely to get it, get that top pick, but you don't. There's also penalties. This is a little less strict penalties for having players that are inactive, hurt uh, on by in place. Is there anything specific that you would tell a manager right now, Matt? Cause you run a lot of leagues. If, if you really want to try to derail tanking, what, what's the rule that you can write that could, could help keep some of that drama down late in the season. Like we're going through now. Even though I've come around to not really caring about tanking, I still do have draft order for non-playoff teams determined by potential points. And I know that there's issues with that too. Cue up Nathan Powell. Hey, Nathan, I hope you're doing well. I haven't talked to you in a long time. I know you've grown up and stuff. Um, (laughs) But uh, that just seems like the easiest blanket way to do it. Like you're going to affect the you're not going it doesn't matter what they what lineup they submit there right now they can still tank and i had it happen this weekend where a manager was upset that you know a guy picked up tom like he didn't have any other quarterback options so it didn't really matter from that standpoint but somebody picked up tom brady and put it in his quarterback spot all the other quarterbacks were either on by or hurt or or whatever on taxi squads whatever right so like there's still ways to get around it by completely just trashing your entire roster but if you are trying to build a, comp- a competing team, presumably through drafting, because you're tanking to get that, uh, you're still going to get hit by the potential point uh, kind of net there. So if you want to completely ruin your entire roster, uh, you can get around it. But otherwise, potential points works great as a catch-all, in my opinion. Yeah, and you you said it there. You can tank, but it's extremely expensive. You have to you have to empty your roster of any current 
point scorers, right? Especially if you're deciding to do that in week 10 before your trade deadline. Yeah. If, you, if you're going to suddenly trade all your guys so you don't score any points, that's going to that's, that's gonna hurt your long-term viability as well. It's different when you're trading Cortland Sutton. But if you picked Tank Dell last year and you're at the trade deadline a month ago, you're not going to trade him just to just to keep your draft pick better next year, right? You're still going to score points with him. And if you do, it's going to cost so much. It's going to be so expensive in the in the short term and long term. That's where I'm okay with letting managers do whatever they want. If you want to if you want to cut off your toe or your nose to spite your face, by all means go ahead and do that. But to make that decision is a little bit counterproductive for me. Ryan, is there something for you that you like to do? No, honestly. And I mean, I wish again, I have, I have these anti-tanking rules, but really even just through this conversation, I'm kind of realizing that I'm using, I'm using tanking rules to uh, try to stop something that's not tanking. And I I Mm. mean, you, you can be very strict with it, that if we have this, this obvious level of tanking that you described in your league, then, then you are going to be removed from the league. And, and again, that's going to be tough to tough to follow through with, but I mean, if you are strictly anti-tanking and you want the league on uh, a level playing field, as far as effort, then, then that's, that's the easiest way to do it. I, I think Matt's uh, idea of potential points and a lot of leagues use that. I think that's, that's the easiest one to, to go with. Honestly, I think that's the smoothest way. Uh, requ- honestly requires the, lo- the, uh, lowest level of confrontation as well. You know, if it's hard to, exactly. if it's hard <laughs> to kick somebody out, you don't, you won't have to do that. Um, but I, I don't know. I think this is going to spark some changes, honestly, in, in my r- rules, because again, I'm using tanking rules to stop something that's not tanking. So think about what the motivation is. If somebody's tanking, they're trying to get a higher draft pick, maybe, uh, you know, so maybe the punishment involves draft picks that they lose a draft pick or that their draft pick gets moved to, you know, move down a spot or move down to five spots or whatever. Um, on the other hand, if you're trying to fight something that I'm talking about, just people not, not paying attention. Yeah. And and just not giving their best effort. Well, you're punishing that team where really it's, you simply have a manager that's, that's not plugged in and honestly just not a good manager for whatever reason. And and punishing and punishing someone that's not plugged in like that. I mean, does it really have that much of an effect on someone that doesn't really care that much to, to settle on? I mean, there's always the accidents, right? Like it just doesn't matter. Like, and, and I, I have penalties in a couple of my bylaws. I know for red list one, I'm not sure about two. Um, but honestly, like, like you said, Brian, about kicking somebody out of the league, sometimes they're really hard to administer. Like somebody had a bad day and they just forgot to put a quarterback in, you know, like I don't want to like dump on somebody who's already in a bad mental state like that. So I need to remove those out of my league. But if you do have penalties in your bylaws, don't, don't do what, do what I'm saying and not what I do, which is actually follow through on those penalties. Otherwise, yeah. there's just really no reason to have them. I've always had those rules in place as well. Those ones you're talking about where you're, where you maybe have a rule in place. That's not stopping what you're trying to stop. Those are starting inactives in your lineup. That that's the, that's just the, really the, 
I'm learning this as well about myself. That's kind of a cop out as a commissioner. I wanted a black and white rule that says if you start somebody that's on a buy or that is out, that's against our rules and you'll get penalized for that. But the truth is you can just go pick up Van Jefferson who hasn't caught more than a couple passes a game since he's gone to the Falcons and just put him in your lineup. Right. And then, and then what does that really accomplish? If you're sitting DK Metcalf or you're sitting Puka Nakua, who clearly have way better matchups and better opportunities to score points. I do. I think this conversation has changed my mind that I do like the potential points argument. The argument to that has always been for me that setting your lineup is part of this game. That that's something that we've, we've put a priority on. And if a specific manager is not strong in that part of the game, that has hurt them. Therefore, they have they have gained a better draft spot because they are they they suck at it, right? So if if that's the training or that's the train of thought that we have that that because the manager makes bad start sit decisions and we're trying to get more parity in the league created by this draft order that we're creating, um that should be weighed equally to some of the other parts of the game, including trading and drafting and all those things. So I'm, I'm just, I'm a little bit torn, but I'm starting to come around on the idea that potential points is the proper way to go. If in fact you want to remove tanking from a league, other than that, I don't know if there's a good way to do it guys. There, there are problems with potential points and I can't remember Nathan's primary argument right now, Ryan, maybe you, you remember um, but I know there are people that definitely hate potential points. I think it has something to do with with built with team building or something. But I'm I'm drawing a blank for some reason. There is a there is a problem with it, but I don't I can't remember. I mean, it. I would assume it it punishes. I think Dan mentioned this earlier. It punishes those those deep teams. Um, yeah. That, right. 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 Yeah. That right. That's you it. might be yep. you might be rebuilding or, or attempting to rebuild, but you've got uh, you've got a lot of depth still as well. So. I mean, I get the argument playoff teams are the ones that get banged up a little bit on that. Yeah. Because a lot of fringe teams are, are deeper, but don't have that superstar that can take you over the top and win you weeks and then can't get there. And they're stuck in the middle. Yeah. But if they're a fringe playoff team, they're going to, they're going to have the 1.06 anyway, regardless of your, of your setup. So I I like Matt. Well, actually you can get, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're 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 going to get the 1.06 because the playoff teams are still um they're still given draft picks based on how they finish in the postseason. Right. right. All right, it's a fun conversation to have. It's not a great conversation to have. It, it's fun to have on a podcast. It's not all that much fun to have with your league <laughs> because it just yeah. happens. So, I think the biggest takeaway here is to have specific rules in place. If you don't have rules in place, you have to allow it. And that's what we came to in yeah. this league. We are also, uh, another piece of advice, we're having the conversation now because we don't want to have it in July when we get together to have this draft. People forget things. They don't remember how intense it was in the moment. Have these conversations now when, the, when, the, when, when it's actually taking place. Then maybe you can get a true feeling of where your league stands and how you should write these rules if they need to be adjusted at all. Tanking is something that's very, very, a very, very passionate subject for some managers. And uh, I think we all need to have our voices heard, but when it comes down to it, you have to have rules in place to either stop it or allow it one way or the other. 
to keep from having these hard feelings and people feeling like they have to quit a league that they enjoy being in. That's going to do it for this episode of the DLF Dynasty podcast. We appreciate all of you listening. For Ryan and Matt, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you again next week. Thank you for listening to the DLF Dynasty podcast. Please remember to rate and review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.